What are we, the hell I, are you talking about? I don't even what know how we got be, into. What are we? It used to be a flower that they thought if you wore it would keep. Uh, yeah, I wore one on my lapel because yeah. I'm a man. Yeah, yeah, but it doesn't keep the plague away. <laughs> you sour, sour faced dandy, pudgy faced apple John. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so if you're listening, you can't see right now because you're blind. <laughs> Otherwise, you'd be tuning into YouTube, obviously. But if you're listening, we have new old Coke, new Coke. Yeah, from the Stranger Things promo, we have new Coke. We I this ordered was them. not, by the way, sponsored by Coke. No, but if it would have been Hold nice on. if they would have. Here to our our uh, podcast listeners, what's that thing where they make noises and it's supposed to like soothe people? What is that called? Uh, orgasms. No. Anyway, here you go, I'm podcast listeners. Orgasms. Oh. Wow, that caused that's a really shot. Here you go, James. James, you want to take a shot? Chad? You, you, you. Ah. So, I, I kind of remember it, but I don't remember what it tastes like, other than it tastes like Pepsi. You can really taste the Bill Cosby that's still in this. Oh. Bill. For those that you don't know, he was the sponsor for New Coke. He was the voice of New Coke. In between Jello Pudding Pops? Yeah. It, it, that's it. It's okay. It's okay. Tastes like Pepsi. Yeah. Well, this was this was not very. Uh, it tastes. A this little cost bit, me twenty dollars, and that's all you've got to say. It tastes a little bit better than normal Pepsi to me. It's not like Pepsi. I don't normal like Pepsi. Pepsi. It's yeah, a no, little but, sweet with yeah, a granular kind of. Yeah, yeah. Normal Pepsi is too sweet. That's a little bit less sweet than normal. By Pepsi. the way, you you nobody's going to guess what. Well, I guess you will know what the topic is because you're looking at the title of the episode. Well, yeah, well, we yeah. could miss. Or no, if the they're title. podcast listeners, they're not looking because they're blind. <laughs> Otherwise, they'd be watching our YouTube version. You obviously have not got a Braille smartphone, sir. Did you say an umbrella smartphone? Ella, 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 Ella. Ella. Oh, that a, happened. A, 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 A. So anyway, welcome to Bonehead. <laughs> you, I don't know not when this comes out, but Coke. you really ought to go yeah. to Fan Fest and Scare Fest. I think technically this is episode 100, even though we don't know if this is going to be 100. Uh, it's no. not. We'll do okay. We'll do that other one for 100. Okay. But technically... I this is this is our one hundred nine. This is our but technically out of the episodes that we've recorded, this is technically the one hundredth episode. Technically, this would be one hundred and one. Really? Yeah, we scrapped episode one and redid it. Okay. That's true. Because that's this, true. We probably that's where we should go do a GoFundMe or a Big Daddy or whatever they're called. If we even Patreon? have it still, do we still have it? I don't know. It's uh, possible. A hundred and one, you say though. Yeah. But we, we can scra- start yeah. a, a a plantation for these. We'll have some oh, sort of plantation. Oh, this doesn't sound good. No. Maybe we should get into the topic because this is going to be a I long one. I was doing a reference to the 101 Dalmatians where the, at the end he hmm. comes up with a brilliant song, We'll Have a Dalmatian Plantation, Tation. where our population can roam and we'll love our new Dalmatian home, something like that. So... Anyway, welcome well, to Bonehead. Yeah, welcome to Bonehead. Jeez, and crazy. I thought this would be more entertaining. Three what and a half, three and a half Listen, minutes before we actually my, said welcome to Bonehead. Spoke, no, I said it a few minutes ago. If oh. my spoken word Dalmatian plantation coverage doesn't thrill and delight, sir, I don't even know who Did our audience is. start a timer? Uh, well, you can I, see down there. Yeah. So, uh, Joe, yeah. what is the topic of today's you episode? Can, all right. It's, so, if you can see down there, you weirdos. <laughs> <laughs> He's been wearing those little mirrors on his shoes. Or is that up there? Okay. Anyway, the topic is about something that I don't know that I was a huge 
where I wasn't overly excited to do, but then when I got into it, I got really excited. And, and it's see, something you've wanted to do for a while. This is my. This may be one of my favorite types of movies. Period. Right. So we're talking porn today. <laughs> No, oh, I, thought, I can't. Oh, I can't handle wait, wait. the cheesy acting and We're the poor side. I thought, squirters. I thought. I thought this was going to be his favorite type of film. So I thought we were going very specific. Puppet pornography. <laughs> I said squirters. Puppet squirting pornography. <laughs> Yuck! I, I. The thing about that would is be, that guacamole. Get out the chips. The thing about that would be, I would imagine if you made such films, and I'm assuming you probably or such does, secretions, yeah. <laughs> would be. Wouldn't you think the felt it's would only be funny to me. felt would be really easily damaged? Yeah, you would I, think. I lost track of what we're talking about. Well, it's your like favorite type of film, you weirdo. <laughs> no, so private detective movies. You're the one with all the weird <laughs> shit about puppets and porn. No, making fun of me. You're the one drawing all the dirty pictures. <laughs> Didn't tell the rest of the joke. It just love like like life. everybody with puberty. It started with a sock. Don't do, nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> the blind folk don't want to hear it. Definitely. <laughs> so anyway. yeah, we're talking private detective. Proctive dicks. Which, by the way, I was going to do, and I had to go. Did you say proctic dicks? Did he didn't say private? That proctor dicks. I'm going to watch <laughs> you. <laughs> That's an education that's, joke. That's that's a very different type of adult film. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now we made sure it was accurate. Yeah, uh, anyway. he wasn't cheating. <laughs> uh, by I the way, I, I want to say this, and I know we're going to get into films that do fit this genre, but one that I was already gun. I don't think it's that bad, by the way. I'm still drinking new. Yeah, film. I'm still drinking. I'm kind of it's, it's growing on me. Yeah, I'm, I'm now wanting to st- agree with the guy from Stranger Things, the kid when he's going off. It's yeah. no, it's like John Carpenter's The Thing. It's even better. It's yeah, not better. Better no. But second not, half of the episode, we'll try that one that James brought. I, I, yeah, it needs to cool down first. I'm I'm drinking Maria's Coke Zero. Coke, you can sponsor this and get all this great dialogue we've had. Anyway, because you no, need it, one, your product. One, one that I was going to do that I was like, oh, it's a great private detective. It's noir. It's all that stuff. And then I sat down and watched. It. I'm like, oh crap, he's a cop. There's several of those. There's a couple that I it's, almost did. It's Laura. Laura is one of my all-time Laura. favorite noir films. Can I bring and it I into remembered the Scissor Sisters? It. I remembered it as him being a private detective, but he's, he's a police a cop, detective. Yeah. Hmm. And he becomes obsessed. So if you've never seen Laura, I Check was going to do it. You should watch it. it and uh, if you like the Scissor Sisters, there's a good song called Laura as well. There's also Laura Dern. Because I'm going to take your mama out all night. I'm going to show her what it's all about. Somebody should. I'm going to get her jacked up on some cheap champagne. Huh. Um, I'm going to let the good times all roll. Laura, by the way, uh, also relevant. Yeah, Laura was written by the novel Bob King, the novel and the uh, screenplay. Uh, screenplay. It's called a screenplay, James. Uh, were both written by a woman. Oh, uh, so. sexist bastard! No, I'm just Women saying women can't that write. Is that what you're saying? I love how no, he said this technically isn't a problem. You and your Proctor Dick I'm, don't know. <laughs> I'm saying you 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 faced that no it's, it's relevant because a lot of people a lot of noir films get linked to a lot of detective private detective films and police films get linked to men Mickey Spillane etc etc she wrote several and I, I I know it doesn't mean the requirement but I thought I'd say this um, as a female author she was often asked how she ended up being a female mystery writer because she wrote. Well, I'm going to get to one too. 1930s to the, you know, she didn't die until the 90s. 
Uh, and she says, I'm not a, and this is her quote, she, what, she said, I'm not a real mystery writer. She went on to say that she just merged the quest for identity with the quest for love and added murder. Hmm. And I was like, that's that's a pretty good that way to write. That like my wife. Except you don't have an identity and you just like murder. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. So anyway, back to your private dicks. Yeah, I just love I just love the genre. Hopefully it's, he'll move up to corporal. <laughs> you know, it's it's usually involved. <laughs> oh my god! How did that not? Why? How was that not part of over under and all of that stuff on airplane? I don't know. Huh. He's shooting for corporal ensign. <laughs> I don't know how this works. It's Navy. Navy has ensign. I don't right? know. So you're back to your private detectives. I just love the genre. There's that you know. It's always evolved. It's a mystery. You're trying to figure out where it's going to go. If it's right. done really well, you don't see it coming. Or if it's done really well, it still makes no sense, and you enjoy the ride. Yeah, exactly. I'll get that's actually the description of one of mine. Yeah, because there and there's sometimes where like they're trying to one and one of the movies I'm bringing up talks about it, but they always try to have multiple multiple plot lines going, and then at the end they magically merge together, and sometimes. In one of the movies, again, another one of the movies I'm going to bring up, that doesn't happen very well. Mm-hmm. But it's just it's just the adventure of getting there, and it's always one man or, or woman. Do you think your obsession is noir, or is it private? No, it's noir. It's I, lo- noir? I love noir. Oh, you it's- like you like the black? Yep. <laughs> well, and by the way, I want to know is, we by the way, film we, noir is, fr- is, is French yeah. for black. It's, it's like so I said, much. you know, like people like Casablanca, Har- 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 uh, Humphrey Bogart, but my favorite movie, Humphrey Humphrey Bogart movie is The Maltese Falcon. Mm-hmm. It's no so, African Queen. Uh, I like it better than the African <laughs> no, no, Queen. I, Actually, I I, the, I do like The Maltese Falcon. I don't know that oh, it's as... I think I may like Treasure of Sierra Madre. But, but you know, funny. one thing, and speaking of noir, and we very rarely talk about this, but that's not this, a private detective but movie. There is a great... Uh, if, if you have an emulator, and I'm not saying you should use them, but if you have an emulator or you own an original Nintendo, go back and find the game noir... It was a game that I loved, and it's it was an adventure game, so it's point click, and you were, and basically you were a private detective that woke up strapped to a chair, and you didn't have your memory, and you had to, and you're there's a dead body in the room with you, mm. uh. and it was a great video game that I never beat. <laughs> I, I was like, I don't know, I got one bullet in my that doesn't gun. Really I'll just, narrow it down. Though, I, does well, it? no, I, I I play a lot of video games. You, when you were like, oh, I'm gonna kiss girls or what whatever mm, girls oh yeah i spent more time with video games but I, now I, the my... only people who talk to me are women <laughs> oh yeah this went south quick yeah uh, anyway but i was uh, hoping she noir, would noir <laughs> noir uh is a great video game and we very rarely talk about video games because joe doesn't believe in the electronic media it's not that i don't believe in the electronic media as much as i oppose its very existence yeah, that's well, not true. Yeah, that's not true at all. No, no. In fact, there's a lot of things about it I enjoy. I just not a big gamer. Uh, well, who wants to go first? I'll, Chad, ca- I'll kick it off. Since it's you, why don't you pop the dust off yeah. of that old cherry pie? And, and by the way, right to work. My my list is not going to be in order. Usually, we do it in order. Right this isn't going to be in order. I'm, I'm hitting, all over the place, and I'm starting with my favorite movie of all time. Yeah, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Mm-hmm. It doesn't have a private detective in it. <laughs> really, Eddie Valiant's not a private detective. Nope. I thought his brother was. They both too were soon. valiant and valiant. I know. I was making a joke too soon. That's hey. not a joke. He's dead. Well, no. Aha, uh-huh, Bob Hoskins is dead. You have a less hero. Hold on. Wait, 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 wait. He's dead? I was talking about his fictional brother. <laughs> no, they're both dead. Huh. 
Good luck making a sequel. I want to do a Bob Hoskins episode. Anyway. Can we do my friend, dad's friend, and just throw people off? <laughs> do a whole episode dedicated to heart condition? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, oh, Denzel. So, Who Framed Roger Rabbit came out in 1988, directed by Robert Zemeckis. Never and, heard of it. And again, they laughed. some sort of chump. You laughed at me during the Cars and TV episode. You're going to laugh at me now. Written by Jeffrey Price and Peter Seaman. <sighs> Price. What a weird name. Jeff Price. What a dumbass <laughs> name. It ain't Vincent. It ain't nobody. Yeah. So that's a price that's of no account. So can you get it? Can you get a hold of Mister of Seaman? <laughs> I wish. If I could. Say, I wish you could. Wish you could get a hold of Seaman. <laughs> uh, there's there, there's two people I'd like to talk to. It's these two. But um, no. Uh, I think I mentioned this before. You know who was originally they wanted for Eddie Valley? Who they wanted really? No, badly? I did not know that. Do you know? Please let it be Robert De Niro. No, Bill Murray. Why couldn't they get Bill Murray? Wouldn't answer the phone. He, you know, uh, if you don't know about Bill Murray, he has a hotline that people call to book him, and he he notoriously is not very he, good he, about getting back. Good, and he missed it, and he didn't know about this till years later. Uh, Robert Zemeckis or or Pete Steven Spielberg were interviewing about the movie, and he saw it and. It's become one of his biggest regrets of his career that he did not get I this didn't role. know it was one of his regrets. He By really way, wanted to do this movie. He wished he would have done hold this Hold on, but that one he took a line on, but as soon as that Space Jam phone call came in, uh, boys, I'll be there. I swear I believe that it's that the line, in the, the, there's a throwaway line in Space Jam where he goes, I'm friends with the producer because Ivan Reitman produced it. Yeah. I think that's accurate. Didn't oh, Ivan yeah. Reitman direct it as well? No, he just produced it. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure he only produced it. And Ivan Reitman's even said, you're more likely to get Bill as a friend at the 11th hour than you are to contractually get him for your movie. Right. You, you're, One's more likely than the other. Right. Just Did, like, oh, I'll help out a friend. And didn't on the Royal Tenenbaums didn't he show up at the last minute? I'm sure he Or it might have been Lost in Translation. He didn't show up for the first two days of filming for, uh, it wasn't, uh, oh, shh. What's the other Ivan Reitman film? Not Stripes. Uh, the Camp Counselor one. Meatballs. Why, meatball. Why couldn't I think of Meatballs? I don't know. Um, Judge Doom. Do you know who they originally wanted for Judge Doom? No. Tim Curry. Why didn't Tim Curry do it? He he actually they actually had him for the role, but he came in and read the script. They actually said he was too terrifying. So they they didn't they they offered it to uh, Christopher Lloyd. He was too terrifying. Too terrifying. Uh, you know who their second choice was? No. And I don't know why he didn't get it. Roddy McDowell was going to be Judge Doom. Oh, I could see that. Yeah, I could too, and I would have been surprised. Now, granted, being the fan I am of that movie, I can't picture anybody else other than Christopher Lloyd being Judge Doom. Well, the thing is, is I actually can probably picture someone else. I have a hard time, someone else. I can't. I have a hard time picturing Bill Murray playing it straight enough for the rest of the world. Yeah, work. I, and that's another. One. I can't picture anybody other than Bob Hoskins playing that Bob role. Bob Hoskins plays it straight. He owned it, and he owns that role. Yeah. Um, the other thing too about Christopher Lloyd, another reason why, again, it's it's just one of those. I just assumed it was because he was in Back to the Future. He was. Like, I assumed that as well, and then I read in, I started doing research into the movie and found out no, he was like the third choice. Oh, really? And uh, here's how cool of a how he played the role. Um, shock! By the way, spoiler if you haven't seen Who Framed Roger Rabbit. When it reveals that he's a cartoon, you know he's actually a tune in a human body. I am familiar with the picture. He, you know, they they realized that he was wearing fake eyes. Uh-huh. So to when he when he when he takes off the, his really dark sunglasses, never blinks because they're not real eyes. 
So he never blinks the whole time. Every time he takes his glasses off, you never see Christopher Lloyd blink throughout that whole movie. Hmm. Whenever he ha- I mean, it's a few times only when he has those glasses yeah. off. Was that his decision? Or that was his just... decision. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, one other note about Bob Hoskins. Hmm. Um, he actually went insane doing this movie. Because it took so long? No, he took. he had to take a year off because... He had to constantly pretend who he was talking to. Mm-hmm. Now you know, in modern movies, a lot of it's done in green screen. Actors aren't really talking to the character Didn't there. Do it then. But they have models. They have people dressed like mm-hmm. Josh Brolin had a Thanos head on top of his head doing mm-hmm. the role. Then they didn't have that technology. It was literally Bob Hoskins imagining talking to somebody, and it actually got to the point um, after the film was shot that he was actually envisioning people, cartoon weasels, all over the place. He actually had a mental breakdown. Um, this is a quote that bought from Bob Hoskins. It's okay, Cartoon Weasel. He's not talking about I went to this one party where I got talking to a very count- county lady with a big hat. And there was this weasel in her hat with a big prick. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, what were you doing at that party? Why did you leave that weasel alone? See, he asked me to go. <laughs> I don't get a lot of invitations. Uh, I'm a huge prick. <laughs> Two things, and then, and then I'll actually talk about why I like the movie. Uh, the, this was the most expensive movie from the 1980s. The most. The most expensive movie. Of Up until that point. Movies. Okay, yes. This was 1988. Well, there, three years. Yeah, and there might have been a movie in 1989 that was more expensive, but as of the time, this was the most expensive. Uh, the original test audience hated it. Really? They actually, it, it, they, they, scanned, they, they screened it for a bunch of 18 and 19 years olds. Most of them got up and walked out. However, Robert Zemeckis still refused to change anything about the movie. Those people are what, now in their late 40s? Yeah. Yeah. F those people. Yeah, F them. <laughs> I don't see how you could hate Roger Rabbit. That's okay. Interspace tested, tested out the roof. UHF yeah. tested better than Batman. Yeah, I know. Yeah. They're both bombs. I, I just, I, I still can't envision and people going, this movie's a piece of crap. So what was the reason they ever figured it out? Why, why what? The audience walked out? I didn't have any di- research as to why. But they said they just didn't like it. So they walked out. And I don't understand why, because the movie's amazing. Everything about it is great. It, it it starts out it starts out in one way. Now granted, the one thing I don't the one thing that you could criticize about it is you see the ending coming. Like who's yeah, the villain? Like the, the villain. villain. The villain's I, as obviously. As a child, I don't know that I automatically knew when I saw it in the theater really? as a child. I don't remember thinking of I mean I the biggest thing that film did... I think the animation and everything still holds up. Oh, it's still amazing. And as a kid, seeing Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny on screen at the same time, ah, that was cool. Yeah. Now, I, well, I, and, I didn't know that literally you can count how many syllables they have, and they had to have the same amount of syllables that they said. Yeah, they had to have the same amount of screen time, which is why they're always in pairs. Um, the other, you know, so you talk. Last time I worked with somebody with a speech impediment. <laughs> and you talk about the animation. Lines. You talk about the animation and how it holds up. This is how detailed they were in that animation. There's uh, the scene where they're hiding from Judge Doom in the back of the bar, mm-hmm. and I believe it's that scene. And 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 Eddie Valiant grabs Roger Rabbit and walk knocks him across the room, mm-hmm. and he hits a light. The animators actually drew the shadows into the into the movie. To reflect as the, the light went back and forth. That's awesome. That's amazing detail that no one notices. Well, you don't notice, but you, you would notice if it wasn't there. Right. You, it well. Would, you, you, it would be in your brain. Maybe. The same. No, no, no. It's like Cool World came out a couple of years later. Yeah. And it's nowhere near the same film. Same kind of concept. Yeah. 
but it's no, it's not anywhere near the ballpark of the execution. With, with, of, right, of, of and that had a very troubled making anyway. Yeah, and that, that was Ralph. Was, that was Ralph, Ralph Bakshi. Yeah, yeah, and, and and then he had issues getting yeah. it made. No, so I don't want to spend. I, I know we're, we. I don't. I've got five movies I'm going to talk about. By the way, I think I, I looked at his iPod or his uh, iPad. I think he's going to steal one, so we're good. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, it's just Who Framed Roger Rabbit is a great. Not only is it crime noir. It takes place in an ama- I love any movies located in the 20s and 30s. Uh, animation on no, top I, of no, that. No, it's your, it's your, it's, it's it's my bag, man. Yeah, I was about to say it's your rosebud. Yeah. Yeah. So who framed Roger Rabbit? Who wants to go next? Yeah, that Ned Wood. That's his rosebud. Yep. I'll I'll, I'll go next because this is one that even I, though I've gotten more and more disappointed about Ed Wood because it's, uh, most of it's crap. But anyway, still a good movie. Yeah, it was a great movie. Yeah, it's a great saying. movie. The uh, so I was sitting there and I was thinking about ones I wanted to do and Laura was going to be my first one and I was like oh crap he's a cop uh, as I watched it and I watched it fifteen times but in my mind for some reason he was always we could do a podcast just on film noir um, mm-hmm. and I don't mean like an episode we could do a hundred oh, yeah. episodes on film yeah, yeah. Well, as I say and, and and this idea of American neo noir which is actually the mm-hmm. one of the films I'm talking about is often referred to as an example of an American neo noir black uh, comedy crime film. Um, starring Robert Downey Jr., oh Val Kilmer, Michelle Monaghan, um, Corbin Burnson, and most importantly, most importantly, never gets enough credit, of course, the great thespian Larry Miller. <laughs> Larry Miller is a good actor. He's he a good actor, he and he great... appears in tons of stuff. I don't know where he went because he nobody ever, nobody ever says, oh, you know who we need, Larry Miller. But Larry Miller, every time I'm like, hey, you, you he's a great stand-up. You might not know. Stand-up. You might not know who he is. He's, you know, do you think he, him and Kevin Pollock have that in common? No, I think Larry Miller is a better actor than Kevin Pollock. Pollock yeah, but Larry Miller. Uh, and don't by, by the way, Kevin Pollock's a good actor. I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. He, didn't no, no, this. now, now he's never. He basically we just he lost bitched, Kevin Pollock in the viewer. He he verbally he, he and I think you believe it. Actually, I'll give him a compliment. He verbally bitch slaps Eddie Murphy in uh, the Naughty Professor and is able to pull it off. Um, Keep going. So, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, if you've never seen it, it's a film. can't believe you um, stole that from Chad. No, I'm glad. I'm is, glad, because now, uh, now, now I don't have to talk about five. <laughs> I, basically, just summing it up, it's a murder mystery that brings together a private eye, a struggling actress, and a thief that's masquerading as an actor. So, basically, Robert Downey Jr. plays a... He's involved in, in this crime in the very beginning. His partner in the crime gets killed. He's trying to hide from the cops, and he gets... Goes into a place where he they think he's a character actor or a, a I'm sorry a method actor auditioning for a role and they cast him and they take him out to Hollywood and then he is cast as a private detective and they have him shadow uh, Gay Perry Gay from Gay Perry like the, yeah yeah um, and by the way Val Kilmer Val Kilmer uh, real quick I don't mean to jump in no no go ahead uh, this is actually considered to be the first openly gay character in front in a Hollywood action movie. Which is it's funny because really? Shane Black did yeah. not consider it an action movie, and here's the story. I on don't that. consider it an action movie. Following the bad critical reception of The Long Kiss Goodnight and a rejection letter from the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, Shane Black decided he would do something outside of the action genre. So what did he do, do Joe? Well, of course he made a romantic comedy. That was his plan. He was going to mo- make a romantic comedy, he, and he is going to write one. He had yeah, directed sorry. Kiss Kiss Baby. Um, right. He, he, Which happened a long he time was going to follow the out. example of James L. Brooks 
and do a romantic comedy, quote, about a quirky story of two kids in L.A. Just really quick, he and James L. Brooks are friends. He's in as good as it gets. He's the restaurant manager. Well, he showed his draft, his first draft, to Brooks, who liked it, but said that he he was losing focus. Real quick, before you... You should also mention the fact that uh, it actually, uh, he was r- writing this. He was suffering from extreme writer's block. It took him a year and a half to write the script. Huh? Well, and that was the thing. So, and what, did you have what helped him get over that writer's nope. block? Because that was what I was about to get to. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I, I didn't know the writer block part, but that makes better sense of this. And I have a whole story um, from somebody who told he, from Sonny Landham about Shane Block. He wanted to get this obviously movie made. So he tried to salvage what he had for a romantic comedy. And Brooks told him he was doing it wrong. And all he needed to do was take the ca- character of Jack Nicholson's... Uh, Jack Nicholson's character in As Good As It Gets. Yeah. And make that character... Imagine what that character would have to do to get through Chinatown. The movie Chinatown. So yeah. replace Jack Nicholson's character in Chinatown with him as Marvin Udall uh-huh. from As Good As It Gets. And that led Black to go back, start adding action elements... Um, and his exact words were, F it, I have to put murder in this. And that's what got him started. He wanted to make a reference to um, Raymond Chandler. Yeah, because he's a big fan. And, and he pulled, actually, detective the, the crime plot comes from a detective novel by Brett Halliday. And I also have done another neo-noir action sort of film that Shane Black did uh, as one of my options, um, which also uses a Brett Halliday story. Brett Halliday didn't write it. Shane Black changed it enough to where it wasn't considered. But he does still credit Brett Halliday. And Brett Halliday's book that inspired Kiss Kiss Bang Bang mm-hmm. is Bodies Are Where You Find Them. <laughs> um, it, the script, which was originally titled You'll Never Die in This Town Again, eventually became Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Well, uh, the original, it also had another title, L.A.P.I. Bang. <laughs> Val Kilmer actually gave it the title Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Oh, really? Yep. yep. Which is a reference... Kiss Kiss Bang Bang has been used a couple different places. In Japan, it's actually a reference to James Bond. Oh, yeah. He was Mr. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang in the 1960s. That's how they sold Bond to the mm. Japanese audience. I um, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Oddly enough, the the leading role was, uh, was considered for Benicio Del Toro, mm-hmm. Hugh Grant, and Johnny Knoxville. <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. learned about it because of his then-girlfriend, now wife, Susan Levin, Who's who was an assistant mm-hmm. to Joel Jesus Silver. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was finishing working with Silver on Gothica. 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 And that's what Which led... was a role that he got after he got out of prison. And mm-hmm. they got, and the insurance company would not uh, cover Robert Downey Jr. So Joel Silver put up the insurance like a bond to make sure for the completion of it. Yeah, and he even broke Halle Berry's hand in that movie, too. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Downey, actually, though, and that's the other thing, was that, that all the problems and him needing to be cast in things to rebuild his career mm-hmm. is actually what got him the role, quoting the source. Downey was eventually cast as they liked his readings and knew he could fit into the small $15 million budget as his career had been in a downfall because of prison. They knew they could get Robert Downey cheap, and they knew they didn't have much of a budget. And that's how Robert Downey Jr. got that role. Um, so there you go. But they, going back to Black being obsessed with mm-hmm. yeah, neo noir film, he made novels, the yeah. uh, the cinematographer Michael Barrett 
and production designer Aaron Osborne watch films like Harper, Point Blank, and a bunch of other mm -hmm. films. Um, and oddly enough, the Hollywood party at the beginning of the film, just as a piece of trivia, is actually filmed at Shane Black's mansion. Nice. So that, that uh, scene in the beginning. His um, own mansion. Necessarily become a huge hit. I ba it barely. Yeah. Did they even, they released it barely, right? Yeah, yeah. it got it made more money internationally. Um, it was, and it wasn't huge with with reviewers. Roger Ebert gave it a two point five out of four, which is insane. Um, saying that it had a lot of comedy and invention, but it didn't what uh, um, it didn't much benefit from the fact that it was too clever. That it did more social care commentary and things like that than a film like that mm. should do. Um, other people, minor people, Michael Russell of the or Oregonian. Observed that it's one of Downey's best performances, most enjoyable performances, and one of Kilmer's funniest. Agreed. Uh, yeah. And it's basically the the critics that did like it said it worked because of the relationships. Um, so, uh, the uh, yes, it's James. A, it's all about again him shadowing, and one of the my favorite scenes in it. I was thinking about this to talk about it for this episode is. The, the CSIing of, of crime scenes, because if you think about the original noir type films, somebody gets shot, somebody walks away, there's your murder. There's a scene where um, Robert Downey Jr.'s character is trying to think somebody thinks that somebody's trapped in the trunk of a car and tries to shoot <clears throat> the lock out of the trunk and shoots the corpse. Mm -hmm. And then they can't report the crime. Right, right. Because the bullet that's in that body now matches the bullet he tried yeah. to use to shoot the lock. And and so it's it's an interesting way to think about, you know, all these noir films that I love don't work under the CSI. And, and the fact CSI doesn't happen all the time. If somebody shoots me, I'm not important enough to spend $3 million in a lab to figure out who killed me. Right. It's going to be like, well, that's a bummer. Put up some posters. But it's an interesting take on how They're that would change. are not talking about wanted posters. We're talking about his posters. It's the cover. Yeah. His pauper burial at Fiddler Green. <laughs> Is it Fiddler's, a, it's Fiddler's, Fiddler's Green? Green. Fiddler's Green. Fiddler's Green, yeah. It's a great song. There's three the people out there going to listen to this. Going, oh my God, this is terrible. Um, yeah, yeah. Do you, are you, do you got any more? Or no, do we need to pause? Well, let me tell you this real quick and then we'll need to pause. So a couple quick notes about Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and then I'll let you go on Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Uh, the one thing you didn't mention, um, do you know who is going to be Val Kilmer's role? No. So Warner Brothers was actually going to give them a larger budget if... Harrison Ford got to play gay Perry. Hollywood homicides Harrison Ford? <laughs> Something tells me he wouldn't have been a homosexual character. The Mosquito Coast Harrison Ford? <laughs> Just keep rolling with the... But, uh, no, it's Hollywood homicide. I'm like, four people are like, oh my God, he mentioned Hollywood homicide. But he actually passed on it. So <laughs> they, gave, they gave it to Val Kilmer. Um, the other thing, too, was when they decided that they were going to do it on a lower budget... Mm -hmm. That gave Joel Silver all the power he needed. So because they agreed to do it on a lower budget, uh, Joel Silver got complete power over it, and he just gave that power to Shane Black. So Shane Black actually got to make the movie that he wanted to make. Which is so funny, because we've talked to people who are not fans of... Joel Silver? Joel, Joel Silver. Silver. And a lot of people, not a big fan of Joel Silver. Right. But Shane Black has worked for him numerous times. Right. And I mean, it's everybody likes somebody, you know. <laughs> Nobody you're, likes you're me. joking, but uh, I, I saw an interview with Tarantino talking about, and this is before pre Weinstein coming out and stuff. Yeah. And people, he would say, even in the '90s, 
people would come up to him and go, can you get me a meeting? Those are the movies I want to make. This is what I want great. I knocked over movies. Over discs. We're All okay. The people watching don't know what they're watching. <laughs> anyway, can you get us a meeting? That's what we want to do. He goes, yeah, I can get you a meeting. Yeah, it probably won't work for you. He just happens to like my shit. Right. <laughs> and the thing was, Bob, his brother, happened to like Rodriguez's shit. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Robert... It was Bob. Wow. Cool. Yeah. No, just, you know. All right, boys what, and so boils and ghouls. I'm going old on this one. We're going to do something that I've never done before. A woman? A uh, shower. <laughs> With a woman? <laughs> uh, sounds amazing. I'm going with 1944's Murder My Sweet. Yeah. Starring Dick Powell. Now, not a lot of you. I just want to punch know. him in the crotch right now so bad. <laughs> pow. D- pow. Directed <laughs> by Edward Dimitrick, written by John Paxton. He played Philip Marlowe. You guys know who Philip Marlowe was? Yeah. 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 He was created by Raymond Chandler. Do you guys know who that Raymond Chandler was? He, he did. He, he wrote a lot of stuff. He wrote words. Yeah. He, he put them in sentences. He, he was known as the rich man's Mickey Splain. <laughs> oh, Lord. Look it up, kids. <laughs> So, Dick Powell had been in tons of... He had been in Disbusby, Berkeley... It's not funny until Chad laughs, and then just I can't. blowing it off. Uh, Busby Berkeley films, he was a song and dance man, and he tried for 10 years to try to get away from that, to do something a little bit more hard-edged and serious. And I no would say it'd be like Rocky play. doing the... But really, it'd be Dick more of a Powell. flick. <laughs> if I was doing it to Joe. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, a little testicle. <laughs> Powell said that when he asked Charlie Corner for a solid, tough guy character to portray, Corner offered him the role of Philip Marlowe. And the adaption of Randall Chandler's novel, Farewell, My Lovely, renamed for the American public to prevent audiences mistaking it for a musical, for which Powell had already been famous, as Private Eye Philip Marlowe, hired by Moose Malloy, a, pre- a petty crook just out of prison after eight years stretch, to look for his former girlfriend, Velma. So have now, you seen this movie? Yeah. Okay. okay. Now, I'm sorry to keep interrupting you, but I'm going to interrupt you, so fuck you. Um, was this... So, Philip Marlowe was played by Orson Welles in the radio prior to this movie. Was there any other people who played Philip Marlowe? There had to have been, right? Do yeah. you have the answer to that? Yeah. Okay. Humphrey fucking Bogart. Before this movie? Let's see. Big Sleep came out in... Hold on for a second. I didn't write down the time. Damn it. No worries. You keep talking. I'm going to look it up. I was going to say, I've got, I've got my input. He's not the first person to play him. The thing is, is I'm going to make the argument to Dick Powell... <laughs> Yep. Is the most interesting person to play him. And Ooh. Here, oh, he is. Have you seen Murder My Sweet? I haven't, but I'm... Here's I've, I've, the problem between that and The Big Sleep. Okay. The Big Sleep is a superior film made by Howard Hawks. Okay? Okay. One of the most legendary directors of all time. This Howard Hawks, the reason people, if you're listening to this and you don't know, I won't tell you to eat a bullet like I usually will, so I've stopped that. However, you should spank yourself. Ever so slightly. Joe Pica. When did Big Sleep come out? No, Joe Pica. What about it? Directed Space Jam. <laughs> when did the Big Sleep come out? I'm um, looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. Real quick, Joe. I think I think Dick Powell went. <laughs> I can't uh, stop. But it's interesting. I just thought to name off if you're nineteen forty six, Big Sleep. Okay. If you want to know how many people Dick have not played. The first person to do it. Well no, but if you want to know how many people have played, uh Marlo first appeared in The Big Sleep as a novel. As a novel, yeah. Published yeah, yeah. in 1939. But here's a list of people who have played. 
Oh, I can tell you Humphrey Bogart, uh, Dick Powell, Elliot I think Gould. You know, we're going to cover those. Up. We're going to cover these. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's not read them all off. So let me get back to the reason why I brought this. Yeah, up. yeah. Good all list. right. So I had not watched Murder My Sweet until about six months ago, or no, two. I've actually watched it uh, the last four weeks. Okay. Didn't even know we were going to be doing this PI episode. I DVR'd it, kept putting it off, kept putting it off, kept putting it off, and it took me three nights, as you all know, with children to get through the damn thing. Yeah. Right? Because I get 30 minutes here and 30 minutes there. Yep. And then I watched it and I thought, I found out a little bit about Dick Powell that I didn't really know a lot about the song and dance stuff. And I thought, I don't know, man. It's Humphrey Bogart's role, right? And I watched it because I watched The Big Sleep when I was in college at Moorhead when I was 22, 23 years old. I got it out of the library. And I was a fan and I'm going to get to it in a minute. And if you guys don't mind, I'd like to do these two movies back to back. Okay. The reason being is because they're both Raymond Chandler and they both deal with Philip Marlowe. And I'll follow you up. Here's the reason why Dick Powell is more interesting. It's the way he played him. Humphrey Bogart had an attitude. Uh He developed a role. A role that made him a movie star. In a way that Dick Powell never did. Yeah. The fact that you're still Big Powell and everybody's giggling. But, when it comes to playing that role, he was not in the superior film. That was Humphrey Bogart. He got Howard Hawks. Howard Hawks, who has succeeded in every, every genre of filmmaking. One of the only filmmakers that ever do that. We have horror with The Thing, science fiction. Mm -hmm. We have comedy, bringing up baby. I can keep on going, right? Okay. We have, or, I mean... The Western. Okay. Um, uh, one of Tarantino's favorite movies. Um, why the hell can't I can't think of the, what's the one that has Ricky? Uh, I love Lucy. <laughs> Shut up. Rio Bravo. Rio Bravo. He directed Rio Bravo. Rio Lobo. The musical. I can go on. Been involved Rio. He directed a successful movie in every. Which Rio genre. Bravo is the brave Rio. The reason why is Dick Powell plays him more interesting and has fun. Whereas I don't think Humphrey Bogart has fun. Mm-hmm. There is Bogart, which we now know kids even say don't Bogart something. And they don't even know who the hell Humphrey Bogart is. Well, maybe 20 years ago they said don't Bogart something. And it is absolutely an iconic per- He's an iconic person. But Dick Powell has fun with him. It's funny. He's fun to watch. I encourage you, if you've never done it, to sit down and watch Murder My Sweet. Okay. Because I had a good time with him. The other thing is, is we don't have the supporting cast that we have in uh, The Big Sleep. Now, I can tell you the plot of Murder My Sweet. Mm -hmm. Can either one of you explain the plot to the uh, The Big Sleep to me? No, no, there's a lot of fast dialogue, though. You like fast dialogue, fast dialogue. That's what mm-hmm. you need. You need Howard fast dialogue. Howard Hawks was known for it. His, His Girl, Girl Friday. Friday the switching channels is bad. <laughs> that joke has been made more than once. I uh, know. I like switching channels. I like His Girl Friday. <laughs> I like His Girl Friday, too. This is not fun. All right. Is hired in uh, the Big Sleep. Philip Marlowe is hired by a rich family. So you've moved on to the Big Sleep. Well, I want to move on to it because I I can keep giving you those. I just think people have forgotten 
that he's not the only person that played Philip Marlowe, and I don't know that he's the best. I prefer Dick Powell. Okay. Now, the one I've got to go back and watch because I've never watched it is, is it The Long Goodbye with, and you're going to talk about it. That's great. <laughs> I've actually never seen it. Oh, wow. Okay. Long Goodbye is amazing. And it I won't be talking about well it. It may very well be good, amazing. The one written by How, the one directed by Howard Hawks. Let me tell you a few interesting things okay. about this. Some of the writers on there. Some of the writers were Jules Furthman. Don't know them. Didn't look them up. Lee Brackett. Lee Brackett was a woman. Mm-hmm. Lee Brackett also wrote some science fiction, and most of the time people assumed she was a man. In fact, a lot of the dialogue that was a little too feminine in uh, Howard Hawks's eyes, he called up Lee Brackett to yell at her for that because he just assumed. It wasn't. It was the third screenwriter's dialogue. Do you know who that was? Nope. A little guy named William Faulkner. True story. Faulkner. Faulkner got, and Dick Powell. Got whole got it was working in the Dick Powell. Faulkner. And <laughs> there's a movie that deals with Faulkner in a, f- a fictitious way and what he dealt there if you ever get a chance to watch um um, I'll watch that when I lay dying. <laughs> Shut up. That's the name of the episode. The Dick Powell. Yeah, I can't think Tom of the Coen Brothers film with John Cuban and... Uh, Big Lebowski? No, the one before that. Uh, uh, oh, Barton Fink? Barton, Barton Fink. Fink. Barton Fink, the author that's played by uh, Fraser's dad. Yeah. That's all based on William Faulkner. Oh, wow. I did. Oh, okay. Does that make sense now? Yeah, that makes sense. Go back, listen to it, think about it. Yeah, by the way, drunk. I just want to say, this is where we are as a society. I was just Googling as I lay dying. What pops up? As I lay dying, the band. I didn't know that was a band. I, I didn't, didn't either. I'm sure they suck. I didn't either, but I, they don't if they sponsor us. So well, anyway, your court. so let me finish my Faulkner story. Okay. Faulkner couldn't stand being in Hollywood, didn't agree with him whatsoever, right? He says, do you mind if I go home and write? <laughs> and he's... Uh, I'm so sorry. Howard Hawks says no problem, thinking he's going to go back to the Beverly Hills Hotel. Fuck no. Went back to Mississippi or wherever he was from. <laughs> Two weeks later, Hawks is looking for him, can't find him. He goes to his hotel, goes, no, man, he checked out, went all the way back home. Calls him up, angry, screaming. That's the reason why there's so many screenwriters on this movie. And he goes, no, you told me I could go home. <laughs> he was from, by the way, New Albany, Mississippi. Yeah. Goes back to Mississippi. I just wanted to or tell those two Bahala, or three stories. Mississippi um, live, in recutting the film, Howard Hawks removed the scene in which Marlowe explains the crimes. <laughs> of course. The film's success supported his growing conviction that audiences didn't give two shits if a plot made... By the way, I'm putting this in Joe Lewis terms. If a plot made sense as long as they had a good time. <laughs> he would later say, I never figured out what was going on, but I thought that the basic thing had great scenes in it. It was good entertainment. After that, got by. I said, no, nah, I'm never going to worry about this shit being logical again. <laughs> Fair enough. Howard Hawks. Yeah. Howard Hawks would later say to film students, "You to make a movie great, you only need three good scenes. You need three great scenes. The opening. To make a movie great. Didn't say oh, okay. which ones, but you better have three good ones in it. Yeah. Makes sense to all of us. Do you? Yeah. Have three good ones. Um, anyway. I didn't realize also that Lee Brackett, she also wrote on a little movie. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it. It's on my wall. Empire Strikes Back. She wrote the first draft of Empire Strikes Back. Hmm. Yeah, I know. Hack. Back. Howard Hawks. To purchase the rights for The Big Sleep, Hawks bought the rights for $5,000. He was given $50,000 by Jack Warner at Warner Brothers. He only paid fifty. He pocketed the rest. (laughs) He paid five. I thought that was a good story too. 
All right. Any questions about any of the rest of this? No. Nope. I, I don't want to spend a long time on the big sleep. I did want to go classic with this. The, the reason being is because I, I, I think you guys should check out Murder My Sweet. It, it's not the movie The Big Sleep is. Right. But I think Dick Powell plays a more interesting character and you have more fun with it. He's just having a good time, man. It's hard to explain. I, it would be like Robert Downey Jr. having a good time in a kiss, kiss, bang, bang kind of role. Huh. Where you're just watching a man have a good time. Yeah. Okay. That's it. All right. So. I know. Do you see why I had to do the two? Yeah. And now I'm going to, I'm going to grab onto that because I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to go out of order. I'm going to go the long goodbye. I've never seen it. I wanted uh, to watch it before it, but I didn't get a chance to. So it's I on can't, my queue. I can't judge it because I haven't seen Dick Powell's performance. However, I would say up until now, Elliot Gould is better than Thin. So Humphrey you Bogart. agree that Humphrey Bogart isn't the best, that you would say it's Elliot Gould? It's Elliot Gould. And a lot of people say it's Elliot Gould. I love Elliot Gould in this movie. Um, this was also written by Lee Brackett. I didn't know that. Yep. Did you know it was a woman? Nope. Ah. Um, stars Elliot Gould. Philip Marlowe, uh, Philip Marlowe agrees to take his friend to Mexico. Upon his return, he is arrested for the murder of his friend's wife. Later, he discovers his friend has supposedly committed suicide in Mexico. At the same time, Philip is hired to locate a missing husband. Eventually, Philip discovers all these stories are connected. So, and it's directed uh, by Robert Altman. Sorry, I just which uh, I figured you'd get to it eventually. Yeah, it's prob honestly next to Mashes may be my favorite Robert Altman film. Really, I love everything about The Long Goodbye. Um, half the a lot of the times, Stanley Gould is just mumbling to himself. Like there, there, there will be, he's not talking to anybody. He's literally just walking, talking to himself. He'll be in a bar. Um, one of the things that Robert Altman's known for is uh, constant overlapping dialogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, he actually got fired from a TV show for one time because he, in one scene, one guy over, uh, talks over another guy and they said, you can't do that in television. So there's a lot of that in here. Robert Altman, uh, Elliot Gould will be by himself talking in a bar and all the patrons will be talking at the same time. But still this inner monologue, well, I guess it's outer monologue because he's not keeping it in or he's talking to himself the whole time. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Um, this is also one of Arnold Schwarzenegger's first mil- movies. Doesn't say one damn word. They uh, knew how to cast him. Robert Altman never stops moving the camera in this movie, which is another fascinating thing because he wants the viewer to feel like a voyeur. Yeah. Uh, Elliot Gould... Always hoped that he would once again be able to play Philip Marlowe. He loved playing this character so much. Uh, he actually bought the rights to one of uh, one of uh, Raymond Chandler's other Philip Marlowe books for a dollar. I can't. I didn't get the title of that, but it never happened. How come? I don't know. It just was this a success when it came out. I don't know. I didn't get that. I didn't know. Um, the studio wanted Robert Mitchum and Lee Marvin, or Lee Marvin for the role. Um, Mitchum would end up playing Marlowe in two other films that That's came true. out after. I've seen one of them. It's not very good. No. Um, but Robert Altman always insisted on casting Gold. Uh, then this film served as his comeback. Elliot Gould had not worked in two years. Because he was in a huge, which is called Bob, Ked, uh, Bob Ted, Carol, Ted, and Alice. Have you ever seen it? I haven't. Which, remember when we were talking last uh, two weeks ago, it was 68, 69. That was the fourth or fifth biggest yeah. The year for Easy Rider. But then he was—he uh, actually got blackballed from the film industry. Over what? Uh, due to his erratic behavior on the set of A Glimpse of a Tiger, which eventually became morphed into What's Up, Doc? Oh, okay. Yeah. 
So after that, he was banned from Hollywood for two years. Robert Altman brought him back hmm. to play Philip Marlowe. I don't want to talk too much about this movie because I feel like a lot. It and um, last I actually saw it on Netflix, so it may still be it's out there. It's on Netflix. Streaming. It's on my queue. <clears throat> it has been for a long time. I've just never got around yeah. to watch it. I would have. I would. I recommend everybody go out and watch this just to see Elliot Gould as this. Now the I have problems with the ending. A lot. A lot of. A it's lot. Robert Altman. It probably didn't end. Yeah, uh, and it well, just ends. It comes out of left field. What happens? I'm not going to tell you because you, you. I want everybody to watch this movie. Um, but again, that's one of the that's one of the tragic downfalls of most noir films is the ending just doesn't land. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the cases with this. But that's the only complaint I have about this movie. The, the 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 journey to the end is what's worth it for me for this movie. So long goodbye. Do you have any other Philip Marlowe before I go off on on my little tirade here? Because I, I want to bring this up. I don't have any Philip Marlowe stories, but I wanted to add a little trivia. Anybody? Any more Philip Marlowe? Anybody? Anybody? Okay, anybody? good. Now, I want uh, to move Joe, on to, to, to... Dick to... Powell played Marlowe again. Oh, yeah? He did. He played it um, Climax, which was the same television series that gave us our first James Bond adac- adaptation. Uh-huh. Adaption. Uh, which was Jimmy Bond. Mm-hmm. They made him American. But they filmed The Long Goodbye with Dick Powell. In the 50s? It, it, yep, 1954. It aired October 7, 1954. The Long Goodbye adapted from the novel for CBS television. I'd like to find that. Um, but I wanted to bring this up because Philip Marlowe, there's always been a Philip Marlowe. Here's some of the people that have played him. You've mentioned Dick Powell, Humphrey Bogart, um, and uh, Elliot Gould. But James Garner, we got Rockford Files because he yeah. played Marlowe in Marlowe. Um, mm-hmm. <coughs> Van Heflin played him on the radio. Robert Montgomery played him on film and radio. George Montgomery played him on film. Gerald Moore did radio. Philip Carey did TV. Uh, Robert Mitchum yep. did film. Yep. Ed Bishop did it for BBC Radio. Powers Booth was in the Philip Marlowe TV series as Marlowe. Danny Glover played Philip Marlowe for HBO in the early 80s. For what? Uh, they did a, a... Let me look up the exact title. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But, Keep rolling. Um, we got to move on. we got... We, our shows are too long and too slow. Keep moving. Uh, Keep moving. My favorite one Pretend on the list. Pretend you're tap dancing on landmines. James O'Mara was. They did a TV series in the 2000s. A pilot. He played it for that. But the one I want to hear so badly is BBC Radio has been doing adaptations of novels and things like that forever. Mm-hmm. Most recently, they had Toby Stevens oh. as Philip Marlowe in the on BBC Radio. So there you go. That that's the list of people who. What's your played. next movie? My next movie, Fallen is, Angels, is thank you. It is Fallen Angels. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Danny, the power of Google. Danny Glover. I want to talk about now. I had to look this film up because I remember watching it with my dad, and I was like, I remember that being a detective film. What was it? And by the way, I had to Google the one thing I remembered. It was a detective, private detective, who for some reason, all I could remember was he didn't like carrying his gun. So he left his gun with the cylinder out, separate from the gun, and with a crayon shoved in the in the uh, barrel, and he left it in the in the glove box of his car. Going only on that, I finally found the movie. It has not been released on DVD as of at least when I checked. 1978, The Big Fix. That isn't released on DVD. It may be now. Check. I've never seen The Big Fix. 
Richard Dreyfuss plays Moses Wine, who is I a. Sing- I even watched a forty-five minute interview with him the other day, going through all of his roles, and he didn't even mention this one. This movie didn't wasn't much of a success, but the author who wrote it, Simon L. Roger, is the author of the screenplay, and he also created the character. There's now seven books based on Moses L. Wine. It is probably, arguably, other people argue with me, but probably the turning point of the beginning of American neo-noir because it was modernized. There's seven left Um, in stock on Amazon. Okay, I need to buy it then. (laughs) Well, I need Um, to see it. Hell, he even talked about the education of freaking Duddy Kravitz and he didn't talk about this I knew about this movie, but I have not seen it. I've always wanted to. Richard Dreyfuss plays Moses Wine. He's a single father and P.I. He got divorced. He was at Berkeley in the 60s as a quote-unquote student radical. Um, He ends up getting divorced because he's brilliant and his wife wants him to go to law school and he has the opportunity to go to law school. He refuses to go to law school because that's selling out. So he becomes a private detective so he can do real justice and not be influenced by corporations. Oddly enough, Simon L. Rogers, a screenwriter and and the guy that wrote, created the character for the novels, he wrote the novels first uh, and adapted them, um, said that if you follow the the lifespan of Moses Wine through the novels, is his own life. In the 60s, he was much more liberal, radical. Uh, after 2000, he and 2001 specifically, um, he became much more conservative. Uh, we call that the uh, Dennis Miller effect. By the way, it's rated, yeah. it's rated 100% on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Um, so he, uh, well, Why don't you have a copy? Dreyfus, uh, like I said, he's a former Berkeley activist. This is why. He is hired... <laughs> To find For an activist, folks, James is still talking, and Chad flipped me he, off. He's hired to find another activist that has been photoshopped, not photoshopped, but the equivalent of the of the seventies. Has been a photo has been altered showing him with a, somebody running for governor. His former girlfriend from their college days tracks him down as a private detective and says, "Listen, I work for the governor, the candidate for governor. He wants you to find your buddy who's a fellow radical. That fellow radical is played by F." Murray Abraham, which, by the way, I watched in a movie the other night because they gave us like MGM channel or whatever, and it was a television movie. Do either one of you remember when F. Murray Abraham had a small cameo and they were trying to reboot A Journey to the Center of the Earth and they did a TV movie for it? yeah, yeah. And it was like on CBS or something in the early 90s? Yeah, yeah. Sam Raimi's in it for three minutes. Hmm. But, um... All so, right, shut up, Joe. Again, he's, he's a really weird P.I. because he doesn't like the gun. He doesn't know all that stuff. Um, and the funny part about the film and why it's so different and why it's a, a more... Uh, Roger Ebert, I think, said it's a wholly American take on the noir is he's... He, because of his divorce, he's a single dad. He has to take time to watch his two sons while his wife is at work. My so two sons. Um, I also wanted to bring it up, though, because Simon L. Rogers also wrote some other screenplays, uh, including one for a little film called Bustin' Loose. Never heard of it. Uh, Enemies, A Love Story. I've heard of that. Uh, which he got an Oscar for the screenplay. I mean, it's sarcastic. I've seen uh, Bustin' Loose, for those listening. My Man Adam and Scenes from a Mall. Which, I've seen Scenes from a Mall. Which had Bette Midler. Bette Midler, yeah. Uh, anyway, so, um, but yeah, it's a really weird private eye film. That felt it came out in the 1970s, 1978. Uh, the tagline is great because the tagline for the film, if you look up the poster, is Richard Dreyfus, and we're talking 1970s Richard Dreyfus with the hair with and everything, and he's leaning around the corner, 
And if you got the in the European edition, it's him looking at himself. And the tagline literally was just so dot dot dot. Go figure. That was the tagline they came up for this movie. Uh, wasn't a huge success. I can't imagine. But I watched it with my dad when I was younger, and it's that scene stuck in my head where he has to take the crayon out of the gun, put back in the cylinder before he can even think about using the gun. In the beginning of the film, it almost plays like a comedy, and all of a sudden, halfway through, it just pivots, and it's hard shoe or hard gum shoe, blah blah blah. Mm, detective. Did you bring gum? Uh, no, no. Did you bring so, snacks? No, go to hell, Joe. Uh, so go on, Joe. You're killing time. I think if I start talking again, Chad, I should have a frosty beverage. Drink Sun Fresh, refreshing lemonade. Now, now does it have the reason you Welcome to the it? Taste of Summer. There it is. Yeah, that's what you need to read. Fruns shine. When no, 100% fun shine. When you're drinking Sun Fresh, shorts and flip-flops are mandatory. Well, I don't wear flip-flops because they give me the blisters. I do, sort of. Except for my bad snake bite ankle. There we go. How is it? Ooh. That's something. That's not as bad as I thought it was. It, it, it. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Listen to us drink. Yeah. That's that's good broadcast Joe, right there. <laughs> What's your next one? Well, are you going to talk about the one where, where, where this one? Oh, I'm not going to bring up you. No. The last two of my picks are going to make y'all, y'all are going to slap your heads about me picking them up. So go ahead. All right. <laughs> I wanted to do Fletch. And I had the same problem James did. We are on the same sync wavelength, though. Go ahead. <laughs> I wanted to do it. And why can't I do Fletch? I don't know why. He's, he's a, not a fucking detective. No. Oh! He's, he's a newspaper yep. guy. Oh, he is a newspaper reporter. Right? Yeah, I forgot. But he's still investigating. But it's not. Yeah, so I left it off. He's damn not. it. He is a reporter. He's a he's a newspaper reporter. So I jerked it off the list. All right, jerked it off. And then I went to the Maltese Falcon. <laughs> <laughs> but why did I put Fletch above the Maltese Falcon? Because the Fletch is amazing. <laughs> Fletch is fun. Yeah. But I put it above John Houston's the Maltese Falcon. Oh, you wait till I you wait till you and I put above the Maltese Falcon. <laughs> All right, let's talk about Sam Spade for a second. This is actually John Huston's first film. I did not know it was his first movie. It was his first film. There's a lot of th- reasons and a lot of things that came together. Uh, I want to talk about... So if you haven't seen it, it actually does make sense. It has some of my favorite actors in it. It not only has Humphrey Bogart, it also has... Why well, can't I think of uh, M's name? Oh, crap. I'm blanking, too. Judy Dench? No, M, the murderer. Um, oh, oh, uh, you talking Raven. about... Raven. Yeah, you're talking about Peter Laurie. Peter Laurie. His Peter Laurie. Uh, right? Peter Laurie's also in Casablanca. This is my friend George. I can't do a Peter Laurie. No, that doesn't sound yeah. like it. That was more like Dip Paul Linton. I actually sounded more like a Catherine Hepburn. Yeah. Uh, See if you can do the whole shaky thing. Uh, 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 yeah, don't stop it. That's mean. Joe Day, Joe Day, Joe Day. <laughs> I know that's not. So basically, he's a private detective. He's playing the famous character Sam Spade. Yep. And they're looking for a falcon, the Maltese falcon, falcon. that if you scratch the paint off of it, it's solid gold underneath, right? right? Yep. And. There's a few character actors. So one of the character actors in this is named Sidney Greenstreet. He actually was 60 years old before he shot this film. They brought him over for England. He was not a household Is this name. the first use of a MacGuffin? Surely not, right? And no, I don't think this is the first use of a MacGuffin, but it clearly is a MacGuffin. MacGuffin and for yeah. audience out there who doesn't know what a MacGuffin is, whew, 
try and tell you not to eat a bullet, but it's hard. You know, um, uh, it's I, that which we're looking for. But what it, does it do? It's what, what we need. need. <laughs> right. One of the um, shows, I, one of the shows that I watch regrettably, but I can't stop watching it is uh, DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, they had an episode in this last season called Egg McGuffin. <laughs> it was them chasing a golden egg that turned out to be nothing. Yeah. Go ahead. There you go. So it's always a MacGuffin, right? The Hitchcock, mm-hmm. I think, coined the actual phrase. Yeah. Or at least he's given credit for it. Um, even though Warner Brothers executives were happy with John Huston's draft of screenplay, they, the screenplay, they put restrictions on the first-time director's production, allotting him only six weeks to shoot the film with 300000 If Huston happened to go over budget, Warner Brothers warned him that he would be looking for a job elsewhere. Houston left nothing to chance. He tailored the screenplay to include shot-by-shot instructions for him and his crew. Detailing the set of each and every scene, the final screenplay was so finely laid out that one could read the script and perfectly visualize the finished film. This method was used by Houston only for this film. Wow. Not for his other ones. Huh. Man went on to make many other films, including Chinatown, Pritzi's Honor. We can just go on and on and on and on and on. Other directors like Hitchcock and later Spielberg would employ this method more frequently throughout their career. I didn't actually know, or I forgot that it was his first film. But how do you top that, like Wells? Don't get me wrong, he did make Chinatown. Yeah. And I think Chinatown is probably one of the most memorable films of all time. And it's also film noir, and it's also about a private detective. detective. Which I did not bring up. I didn't bring it up either, because I don't have the emotional connection to it that I do about this. Mm, And I told you the other day when we are talking, I said, I'm going to go old on this. All Mm -hmm. except for one, I'm going to go really old. Back to Sidney Greenstreet. An interesting thing about this, he's a British character actor. They finally brought him over to the States to do this. He was 60 years old before he became a famous movie star in Hollywood. He weighed 357 pounds. Wow. Now, that's impressive. That's taff fat. What's problem Historical. is... Historical. <laughs> Warner Brothers was uh, known at the time to be one of the cheapest studios. They didn't believe in wardrobe to save money, so actors normally had to provide their own wardrobe. What's the problem with being 357 pounds if you want them to look a certain way? <laughs> they had to tailor all of his wardrobe and drop shot up some of the budget. Just thought that was a fascinating That's fact. That's awesome. Yeah. And the chair in which Green Street sits while talking with Sam Spade, yeah, in the hotel room, was specially made for him. They couldn't find one. That didn't work. The they chairs the prop department was going to use weren't wide enough to accommodate his frame. Do you think they put him in one of those uh, where they, they strapped the belt around and vibrate and that was supposed to be the big exercise of the week the, the, that time? I don't know. He just ain't he's getting fatter. So, <laughs> I, I'm i not going to say a lot about it. That's one of the few interesting things. I think you should check it out. Once yeah, again, it's Humphrey Falcon. Bogart playing Humphrey Bogart. Bogart. Yeah. Uh, which is great. And I enjoy Humphrey I didn't Bogart. see I didn't see Maltese Falcon until I was in my mid twenties. I it, probably didn't see it until I was grown. And know? I was hooked as soon as I saw it. I loved everything about it. Yeah, the difference between the Big Sleep and the Maltese Falcon is that there's plot. The yeah, Maltese Falcon. <laughs> there's plot. I mean, it's a MacGuffin to be sure. Oh yeah, they're looking for a damn bird. In fact, that's that's what it's called most of the movies. The bird, bird, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're all looking for it, and they're trying to get it, and they're all trying to get rich, screwing one another over. Mm-hmm. But it does have a plot. Whereas, did I mention earlier that he cut out the scene with Bogart in the big sleep explaining <laughs> the crimes? Because I don't think you knew that. I, no. <laughs> I think I'm going to have to talk. By the way, um, the uh, I have a I, I have a first edition 
of the book that's based on. Oh, wow. Maltese Falcon. No, no. I'm done with it there. That's all I wanted to say. Chad, move on to the one. I've got only got one movie left, and that should piss everybody so off. So, you mentioned Fletch. <laughs> well, I wanted to put it on the list, really. I bad. wanted to put him on the list, too, but uh, I picked another one, um, which I'm kind of glad I did now. Uh, Good, because he's not a P.I. There was a certain other famous comedic actor from the 80s who saw the success of Fletch and wanted to grab onto it. <laughs> That would be John Candy. Who's Harry Crumb? <laughs> oh my God, he's in more turkeys than I, stuffing. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to make your choice. If any of you have seen the film that I'm going to, I feel up next, better about the last one. No, I'm, going I'm going to make Chad feel but better. I when love it's my Who's turn. Harry Crumb. I love Who's Harry Crumb. And by the way, you all are really going to be pissed at my last one that I'm going to talk about. And it's only because of John Candy. That's also got Annie. Almost it's Annie got Lennox. Annie Potts, Tim Thomerson, Jeffrey Jones. Yep. And Shawnee Smith from Saw Fame, whom I and met. If, and by the way, she's listening. Hi, Haley. Yeah. And Shawnee Smith, after the panel, I moderated their panel, and I, and I got to ask her, did I tell you about this? No. I said, I would have loved to talk to you about who's Harry Crumb, and she said she had a wonderful time, and John Candy was the nicest man she'd ever met. Well, I, didn't, I, I wish I would have been there for that part. I, would, I was well, in the room, and I didn't hear you talk about that. Well, it's just where it was ending out. Yeah. I didn't talk to the it rest of them, just her. her attorney came over and told Joe to back off. It was just her. <laughs> by the way, it was written, so it was directed by Paul Flaherty, who really didn't do anything other than he was a main, he was a big writer for SCTV. Well, he was an actor. He 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 uh, he started out in Second City and then moved on to Second City See, Television. He was yeah. So he and he directed Eighteen again. Did he really? Yeah. With George Burns. With George Burns. I didn't know he directed those two movies. Yeah. And he's in a lot of movies in the eighties. Yeah, but small parts. Small, very small parts. Um. Uh, it was written by Robert Conte and Peter Wartman, who were actually a writing duo. Who, by the way, they've done like seven movies, and this was the biggest one they did. Oh, really? <laughs> um, not going to spend a lot of time on it, but essentially, Harry Crumb is just a a a, a clumsy detective. He 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 comes from a long line of, of private investigators oh, who are geniuses. Who are geniuses, and he clearly is not. Yeah. Uh, he he. He's the low end of the gene pool. He's the low low yeah low end of the gene pool. He thinks he's he thinks he's a master uh, investigator, but he's not. Um, there's he, there's a lot of stuff. He plays different characters, just like Chevy Chase and Fletch. Some would probably not be right done today. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> there's some, there's some pain on some faces. Yeah, yeah. And a, a hair loss and some. And anyway, oh, yeah, the vagina. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why is this the second week in a row Bush has come? I don't know. <laughs> but. <laughs> It really is. If you haven't seen Who's Harry Crumb, you should watch it. If nothing it, else for the Bush scene. Uh, two amazing... But anyway, I should describe the plot. So essentially, a famous heiress goes missing. And these people who do not want her found hire Harry Crumb to find her. No, that's not true. I'm sorry. Well, he... The guy... The, the, the guy's... The, the missing sister hires him. Yes. And the one who runs the detective agency doesn't want them found. found. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So on and so forth. Uh, here's two amazing quotes from Who's Harry Crumb. And there's uh, many, many, many ones. I haven't watched in a long time. My reputation precedes me. Otherwise, I'd be late for all my appointments. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know Paul Flaherty directed this. Why did I not know that? By the way, if you you should look up Paul Flaherty. You, as soon as you see him. Oh, it's like, oh, that guy. Paul or Joe? There's two different people there. Right? I really, I think you might be getting confused. With I am getting confused, confused with the actor Joe Flaherty. Flaherty yeah, I, they have to be. 
If they worked on SCTV, they have to be right. I will Google this wide while James is talking. <laughs> uh, the last quote, and then I'll leave it. I'll, I'll pass it on to James. Not so fast. I've had eyes on you for a while, lady. I knew you were up to something, and here's my proof. It was you who was having an affair with your husband all along. <laughs> I like the other one better. Uh, the other one's better. But, and I don't deliver it in the way that Candy does. No, nor so, will you ever. That's no delirious, sir. Nope. <laughs> So, but if you haven't, Who's Harry Crumb is a great comedy, uh, low bar. It's not great, It's but it's fun. But it's not as bad as critics say it is. It isn't. It's entertaining. It is entertaining. It is not as bad as, I. That that's one of those movies that gets bashed. Yeah. Hot to Trot deserves it. I don't know the Who's Harry Crumb does. Yeah, Who Harry, ah, oh, man. It's better, it's better than Go West, Go East. Wagons East. Wagons. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Why are you doing I don't a Parkinson's? Because it makes me think around? better. James, Parkinson's makes you think better. I don't. I got nothing. <laughs> I'm going to talk about one that if either of you've seen, I will give you a nickel. I'm going to be pissed um, if you bring up mine. This film. I don't think anybody's going to bring. Was up mine. written by. It was actually, I think, the first screenplay sold by some young upstart named Walter Hill. Nope. I'm good. <laughs> uh, it starred. In one of his first appearances. Brother of Joe Flaherty. <laughs> James Woods was in the film. Yeah. But he was not the star. A Michael Moriarty was in the film, but not the star. It uh, featured and was directed by Robert Culp. And also starred his former I-5 partner, oh. Bill Cosby. I refer you to Hickey and Boggs. Uh, that is on a lot of lists. Hickey, well, and Hickey and, and I Boggs, haven't actually seen it. Hickey and Boggs was I haven't either. A, a failure at the time because it was too dark. People thought it would be, oh, it's Robert Culp and Bill Cosby together mm. again. It's going to be fun. It's going to be stuff like that. However, one of the things that happened, Walter Hill wrote the script, and it was actually Walter Hill's first script um, that was made. Um, and so a little bit about that, his, his commentary on that. Um, it was Hill's first complete screenplay uh, was actually a western called Lloyd Williams and His Brother and it was optioned but it was never made but the script was admired by Warner Brothers who asked Hill to pitch a bunch of other projects he came up with the detective story Hickey and Boggs and the studio agreed to finance a draft Detective, and his quote here detective films were very old hat not the kind of thing a young screenwriter was going to pitch recalls Hill I think they were intrigued but maybe fresh air could be blown into a venerable genre they liked the uh, the script. They hired Hill to rewrite the script for The Thief Who Came to Dinner, for which he ended up getting sole credit, and they sold Hickey and Boggs to United Artists, which was rewritten by director Robert Culp. Mm -hmm. Robert Culp went on to say that later, there's 50 minutes of that film on the, the floor. I wanted to bring it up because as you talked about, hey, you remember how we don't need these plot points anymore? Mm -hmm. One of the critiques of when the film came out was it was too violent it wasn't what people wanted it was too serious mm -hmm. people thought oh bill cosby should be funny and um also they cut out the part that linked the missing woman to money mm -hmm. there's something that linked it together and they make reference to it but it never explains it and evidently in this film that was not acceptable and it was a big issue um walter hill said of the film that uh Colt made. He said it's got some nice moments, but it was cast differently. Uh, originally, um, they asked Walter Hill who he would have cast, and he wanted it to be, uh, let's see, Struther Martin, 
and Jason Robards. <laughs> yes, picture that, folks. Uh, <laughs> so, I never thought about it, but they could be they could be brothers. That, yeah, uh, and it was all about Southern Martin's the one that was raiding the ba- race in the basement where they threw pork chops at it. <laughs> and it's they're I mean they're horribly oh, hard great buddy cop movies. They're Southern hard detectives. Martin. Here's the tagline for the movie: They're not cool, slick heroes. They're worn, tough men, and that's why they're dangerous. And then in fine print it says, uh, they hold their forty-five magnums with two hands, and they keep firing until they hit something, anything. Uh, and it was a really dark it film. It came up on several lists when I was it, researching. It was a really dark I've film. I've never and, seen it, though. And so, at the time, uh, Variety said Culp makes his directorial bow. It was financed by a camera a guy that worked as a cameraman on iSpy was debuted as a producer for this film. Um, and they're the ones that critiqued it saying, but they never linked the money that's mentioned mm-hmm. to how it connects to the woman. Uh, the New York Times said that, you know, it was it was loose and it was um, it was too complex and, and their critique actually was against Walter Hill. Let's say that Walter Hill Hill, a newcomer to the screen, has written a script that's long on complexity and short on character. Um, however, as you said, it's now popping up on tons of lists. Matter of fact, Colt said in 1977 it had caught on with the college crowd and it was starting to be used in film classes. Mm -hmm. And that's when it started to finally get some attention. Um, much more recently, it's been reviewed historically as saying, uh, people wanted a lighter touch at the time. They wanted their detective, you know, uh, heavy duty cop shows like Badge 373 and the Friends of Eddie Coyle were getting passed on. They, they weren't catching on. People wanted fantasy. And so, as he says, there's a scene in the picture where Hickey suffers a blow to his family and his whole life goes sour. Uh, from that point on, there's little hope of anything pleasant happening. And that was not what people wanted to see. Mm. They wanted a Bill Cosby film where it was funny. They wanted I Spy as a film. That being said, it was a hard-boiled... And I need to see it. Yeah. All right. I doubt that either one of you have this. And yeah. if I brought this up in a previous episode out of the hundred, I know I'm going to get butchered for this. But have you guys ever seen Children of Men? Oh, fuck. Seriously? <laughs> no. Oh, thank God. He's <laughs> not a private detective. I didn't know if he was or not. I didn't know if he had a career. But I honestly don't know that I've brought this. I think I brought this up a little bit, but I haven't talked about it as far as a private detective goes. Okay. It's called Cast a Deadly Spell. I don't recall you bringing this up. And Either one of you ever seen it? No. I know that title, but I can't. It was made for HBO in the early 90s. It actually had a sequel called uh, Witch, or, uh, uh, Witch Something that starred Dennis Hopper. But in this one was directed by Martin Campbell. Martin Campbell would go on to direct Casino Royale and GoldenEye and a terrible movie called what? Green Lantern. And Green Lantern, that's right. He also did Zorro. He also directed, yeah, yeah, which is a good movie. Yeah. Her Zorro is good. Yeah, yeah, Green Lantern. Not. And he also Vertical Limit, which is a terrible movie. He's oh. One of the funniest opening line uh, scenes ever where the guy hits the ground. <laughs> and it's, I said, so, did you shoot it for a comedy? Because it's funny. <laughs> no, I laughed. I mean, the timing is pitch perfect comedy. <laughs> and I was like, what the hell is wrong with this bastard? Um. Anyway, it has Julian Moore in it. It okay. has Clancy Brown. You guys ever seen this? I've Test never seen spell. it. Now I want to. Starring Fred Ward. What? As, do you know who he plays? No. Philip Lovecraft. Oh, <laughs> shit. In 1948 LA, everyone uses magic. Everyone except hard-boiled private detective H. Philip Lovecraft. Can't believe you guys have never seen this and you've never talked to me about it. Who re- also, David Warner is the villain, FYI. Not wow. to give anything away. 
He refuses for personal reasons. Lovecraft is hired by a mysterious rich man, played by David Warner, to recover a stolen book. Guess which the book is? The Necronomicon. Investigating, he finds that the book holds the key to taking over the world by magical means and releasing the old ones. Cast a lovely spell. Cast a deadly spell. Oh, sorry. The original script was called Lovecraft, and it took more than 10 years to get made. It was written by a guy named Joseph Duggar. So, HBO produced a sequel entitled Witch Hunt, I'm sorry, which place, takes place in the 50s during the Red Scare. Magic is substituted for communism, and Dennis Hopper played rough Lovecraft in that one. I don't know why they didn't get Fred Ward back. And they didn't have the same director either. But anyway, uh, that being said, I can't believe you guys never seen it. it I've never HBO. heard of it. Has Fred Ward, has all those I people I didn't in. have HBO in the 1990s. Well, if you did, you would have been able to watch uh, Cast a Deadly Spell. <laughs> I... I was going through it. By the way, it showed up on none of the top 20, 50, or 100 lists that I was looking for for PI films. I don't know why. I feel that it's been misjudged like who's Harry Crumb. I watched it again. It was on HBO about a year ago, and Christy was like, what in the hell is this? It. I don't know that it holds up, but it has some great scenes. And who thought to cast Fred Ward as Lovecraft as a private detective. I don't know, but that's fantastic. It is fantastic. It's not a great movie. Some of the special effects don't hold up, but it takes place. It has, remember what you're talking about? It's film noir. takes yeah. place in the 40s. Yeah. Lovecraft. Right. In the Hollywood, and everyone uses magic. They wrote it for my mind to explode <laughs> in 1992. I watched it and thought it was amazing. That's fantastic. It does not necessarily hold up, especially some of the special effects. The problem is, is that some of the comedy is a little too much, uh-huh. which would go on to plague Mr. Campbell in a little movie called The Green Arrow. Lantern. Oh, is there a difference? Ugh. Ah! And Vertical Limit. <laughs> However, he must have nailed it on Casino Royale. Yeah. I don't know what's going on there. I like it. I really encourage both of you to go out and find it and watch it. And the actual the sequel, Witch Hunt's not that bad either. With that Dennis Hop Dennis Hopper is not as much fun as Fred Ward. Does that make you, you, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Fred Ward just plays him. It's fun. Remo fucking Williams. Yes, that would the be adventure true. begins. And the adventure begins. I can't believe it's not on any of these PI films. I mean, it's got Lovecraft, the Necronomicon, and David Warner. <laughs> and Clancy Brown. Wow. And Julianne Moore. Yeah, I was hoping nobody had that one. Nope. And that I hadn't brought it up. Nobody I couldn't remember. And nobody's gonna have my last one either. What's your last one? Woo! This the, my last pick is a dog turd. And if and when I give my honorable mentions, you're gonna. Why did you pick this one over those? Because nobody has heard of this. Deadly Illusions. Oh yeah. Written and directed by Larry Cohen. Who Larry was Cohen. fired from this movie and was then was written and, and directed by William Tannen. <laughs> Larry Cohen he uh, directed Q the Winged Serpent. Also, uh, oh, uh, William Tannen, uh, the other the other movie of note, he is he directed The Hero and the Terror with uh, Richard Kill and Chuck Norris. <laughs> Guess which one the terror was? Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> James, did you know what Deadly Illusions is? I've heard of it. I've I really have heard of it, but I've never seen it. The, the detective is named Hamburger. Please don't make fun of him. That's the quote. Did Larry Cohen write it? Yes, he wrote it and then was fired and then they they did rewrites. And I'll get into this momentarily. Have you ever seen his, his sequel to Salem's Law, Return to Salem's no, Law? No, I'm sure fine. it's... But, uh, Billy D. Williams, James, plays Detective Hamburger. Hamburger. Um... 
And it's a Morgan Fairchild, Vanity, and John Beck. You cannot find a copy of this movie anywhere. Oh, don't make me get on Amazon right now like you just did James. You, you cannot. I've already done it. You can find a VHS scanned copy on YouTube, which is how I went back and rewatched this movie for this episode. How is it? It is freaking terrible. It is, is it really that bad? It, uh, so Why you can you uh, it? I, because I loved it as a kid. I love Billy D. Williams. I was like James. I'm a big Billy D. Williams fan, and he was. This is the epitome You're of. We're never married to him. This is yeah. Ugh. Ah, too soon. Yeah, too soon. This is the epitome of Billy D. Williams, slick, cool. Even though this is mid '80s and it's all gone at this point, but it is a horrible movie. <laughs> you could tell it was clearly written by two people because I I don't even know how to tell you the plot. Basically, he. The, the beginning of the movie opens... This is the same guy that gave us the stuff. <laughs> but the movie begins with him at a at a, at a a government facility trying to get his, uh, his license to hold a gun back because it was taken away because he killed three people. <laughs> and then all of a sudden... And, you okay? I'm sorry. You need to watch it for the sheer absurdity of it. And then there's like all different... It cuts to different people complaining about how they want their guns. And then some guy goes insane because he won't get his gun back. And it's oddly enough... He has a gun on him. <laughs> so Billy America, dude. So Billy D. Williams shoots him dead. But then it ends up with him. He ends up at a deli because he doesn't have a place to he doesn't he's technically not a real detective because he won't get a license because he doesn't believe in responsibility. That's why he doesn't own a driver, a car, or a pet. Another line from the movie. But uh some guy comes in and says, I will hire you, I will pay you fifty thousand dollars if you kill my wife. And it goes from there. It turns into a, a illegal sex trafficking thing. Uh, then there's a twist in that it wasn't... There's another two murders. And then there's a fight that's barely a fight between him and the guy. Some guy holds up a post. He holds a chair and ends up pushing him out a window. Nothing about this movie makes sense. Yeah, you're not selling me. I, I'm going to go back and watch you need to watch. Deadly Spell. It's an hour and a half. It's sh- sheer absurdity. Of Billy G. And Bi- so here's another Billy thing. Billy G. Billy D. Billy G. Billy G. <laughs> the opening to Kentucky. The opening is him is him walking around New York, shaking hands, and all of a sudden, and you can clearly tell that there was two directors who took over, and that they ran out of enough B roll for the opening, mm-hmm. because there's one scene where it's just him running through Central Park, and he's he wears he wears a trench coat through the whole movie. He never takes the trench coat off. And throughout the whole uh, the whole opening, he's wearing the trench coat with a suit. But for this one scene, he's got the trench coat on, and over that, you clearly see a New York Mets sweatshirt and jogging pants. <laughs> they just went back, shot it later because they didn't have enough for the credits. I'm going to read one review of it, and then I will talk about it a little more. Be di- Billy, yeah, because you're doing such a great job. <laughs> I'm tell it's terrible, but it's fun because it's so terrible. Deadly, deadly illusions. A string of barely coherent scenes stitched together with some hastily written voiceover narration used to try to cover up the massive plot holes and missing coverage. Deadly Illusions is an atrociously bad movie that approaches Wicked Stepmother levels of ineptitude and embarrassment for all involved. Oh, Wicked Stepmother. Was that her last movie? What was her face? Joan, not uh, Joan Jett. Joan Crawford? No, the other one. I don't know. Betty Davis. Betty Davis, that's her last movie? I don't know. But anyway... um. And there's a scene where Billy T. Williams, by the way, you could tell 
Billy G. Williams is just phoning it in. I don't know why. I'm talking too fast. Billy D. Williams is clearly phoning it in, but he has some clever lines. By the way, another reason to watch this movie is here's how here's how cool Billy D. Williams is. I don't think there's any movie in history where there's another scene where he can eat a pickle so cool and look so cool doing it. You keep I, saying cool. And have you ever G. seen that? Have you ever seen the Billy D. Williams movie with him and uh, Gary Busey? No. Where they're dueling submarine captains? No. Yeah, that's a good. No. Oh. So I'm just going to end on uh, one more thing about Deadly Illusions. Get on YouTube, find it, watch it for an hour and a half. It's terrible, but it's fun. And you never know what's coming because it doesn't. It, it makes doesn't no sense. Logic. It There's no logic because they don't know what's coming. I don't get what you're saying. The people making it. Yeah, they didn't know what was happening either. I mean, literally, Larry Cohen wrote a script. They he quit. They fired him, and then they had to come Except back and rewrite the first it. Time we could actually do a whole document. I there is a say. documentary about Larry Cohen. All right, James, you want to bring up one more? Or are we wrapping one up. More and I let's wrap one more. Up. I want to bring up, I'll, I'll do an honorable mention at the end. I was going to bring up another one, but I want to, uh, I, I want to bring up, um, because you've already talked about uh, Sam Spade in the Maltese Falcon, uh, who was created by, and I'm going to slaughter this name, Dashiell Hammett. Yeah. Uh, Dashiell Hammett created, uh, actually worked at a detective agency, the Pinkertons. Uh, he worked oh, for the Pinkerton, the Pinkerton Detective hmm. Agency when he was younger, which is where he got some of the inspiration and things like that. I want to talk about his other famous creation, other than Sam Spade. I want to talk about Nick and Nora Charles. I know, I know, I know, man. The, the Thin Man. The Thin Man. So, The Thin Man, he was a cop, I, 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 but he's yeah, not a cop he's anymore. Not, but is he a private detective? Is he not? Or? He is, he's, he is if you're, if he's bored enough. And that's what I think that's is really interesting That's what it is, is he about. won't take it because he's bored because he just wants to drink. Yeah, and I, I think that's what makes it Have so... Have you ever actually seen The Thin Man? Mm-mm. Sam Spade oh, is very much a gumshoe. The Thin Man Damn, is... a good movie. Uh, I, don't, I showed it to the kids. My kids loved it. It is so um, fun. I really want to see it. He, uh, and William Powell. And, and Myrna Loy play right, Nick William and Nora Powell, Charles. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they are they have a dog, uh, a terrier. Uh, um, so What's the you, name of the dog? The the actual dog that played him? No, was the name Skippy. of the, ca- the character um, name. Uh, let's see. What is the name it's of the just dog? A, they're just fun. Uh, but the, she is a wealthy heiress who yeah. he marries. So he never has to worry about money anymore. So he retires, and all they do, Joe's right, is it's they drink, drink all day. Party. That's it. They they're socialites, huh. and then there's a murder that happens. You've heard and of the thin man? Because, oh yeah, I've heard of it. And actually, he's not the thin man, and that's one of the things that that's how they de- describe the person he's supposed to find as a thin man with white hair, which is where the title comes from. But because it was such a hit, when they're they all ma- called the thin when man, they made the, the, the sequels, they called him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they named all of them the thin man. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, they're just a lot of fun, but yeah, he's not a private detective in the gumshoe sense where you hire him, but if he's bored drinking and all that stuff, he and his wife will take on, it's, it's, it, it is a spiritual predictor to me of shows like Murder, She Wrote and stuff like that. Cause Jessica Fletcher is not a detective. I could tell you line, well, I can't tell you line. I can tell you scenes from Asta. the movies. The dog's Asta. name is Asta. Love the movie. Love it. Absolutely effing love that fucking movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you the plot. <laughs> it was shot in 16 days. 
Can you um, tell the plot, James? Don't. But can you actually... He's hired to find a guy. He's hired to find a guy. But most of the lines are... And he was a detective, and he was a really good detective, detective. But he's retired, and now he's basically... He's a functioning alcoholic. They were going to remake it a few years ago with Johnny Depp and... Well, and they kind of did with Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. They, they, well, it's been stole from quite a bit. Yeah. It's been yeah. stole from quite a bit. I actually think it's one of those movies, but how you get that cast? Because if that movie doesn't work... Unless it's William Powell and Myrna Lloyd. Yeah, the the back and forth and the the right. I mean, they it make is, fun of each other. Their chemistry is absolutely they, amazing. They make fun of each other for being drunks because they they're make, both drunks. Both <laughs> drunks. Yeah, they're wow. both. Drunks. It's just a lot of fun, specifically considering the time it came out. Yeah, I mean, it was it, the first one was pre-code, uh, and it was a comedy mystery. Uh, it's so funny. So you think about Sam Spade. He created Sam Spade, and they turned around and made Nick and Nora Charles. I didn't know that and, they came from him. They um, make fun of him in Murder by Death. Actually, Murder by Death was another movie I thought about talking about. Yeah. But Murder by Death is the one that makes fun of all these folks. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I, I, if you've never seen the Thin Man, and I, I told I the story I to about Ten Little Indians, or I, I told this story Agatha to you Christine. all, and I told it to the other person I know who's a big Thin Man fan, uh, Kyle, if you're listening. Um, because I texted you all and I, I sent a message to him and I was like, listen, um, at the university where I am now employed, they were introducing staff and we hired a Dr. Nora Charles. And it was literally everything I could do not to stand up and go, Thin Man! And I'm like, seven people, maybe her, Hopefully she would get, would get it. it. Hopefully. But I, I was sitting there going, oh, you know, how many people? And so I... I I have shown this movie to my kids. It's pre-code. There's nothing major in it. But my kids like mysteries. No, but there's a lot of drinking. There's a lot of drinking. But what's funny is, my kids, of course, hit and be like, well, they act goofy sometimes. They sure do. <laughs> they sure do. Now, later on, Daddy's going to be acting goofy. It's probably 30 or 40 minutes into the movie before they get to the plot. Oh, yeah, because it's all them partying. It's all them socializing. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's and again that's why no you really in the next couple of weeks need to watch the Thin Man. Yeah, right. you might got a copy. No, I have a copy. I don't have a copy. I do have a copy. Bring it to me. I'll watch it. I, I I may have taken it with me oddly enough to my other job, but I, next time I'm in town, I will bring it back. You took it to the streets. Yeah, I take everything to the streets. That's the Chicago way. Anyway, um, so any honorable mentions, gentlemen? Uh, I've got a few. I got a ton. Actually, I, the yeah. Thin Man would have been you an know, honorable mention. This one's an argument, but it, it, the Big Lebowski. Well, yeah, it's basically Raymond Chandler. Yeah. It's the Big Sleeve. Um, this one's a personal favorite of mine. Again, it's not a really well known and probably not respected. Low Down, Dirty Shame. McKean Ivory Wines. I know. I'm familiar with it. He directed it too, didn't he? Yep. Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. Oh, Steve Martin. <laughs> yep, that's a good one. Uh, Pure Luck. Oh. With Danny Glover and Martin Danny Short. Danny Glover and Martin Short. That is not a good movie. The Man with Bogart's Face. I've never seen it. It's both, I, I watched it when I was a kid. It was really good. The Seeing Detective. I've There's only watched the remake with Robert Downey. Which I've I never, like. I've, I liked it too, but yeah. I've never. Actually, it was on again the other day and I was watching it and I didn't care for it as much, but. I've never seen the original one. I haven't is seen that, the original one. Uh, who is that in that? The original one is, uh, what's his face? Oh, shit. Michael Gambon. Oh, okay. He's in the original, I think. And then um, when I was doing research, these are two that I, uh, The Cheap Detective. That actually was the sequel to Murder by Death. Yep. Mm -hmm. Did you know that? Yep. Okay. Semi-sequel. Yep. And then the final one, I it showed up on a list, and I want to find it. Neil Simon. 
I don't know if I, I don't know if you can find a copy of this. I didn't look at. Kill the fatted calf and roast it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Let's get that for Halloween. Yeah, yeah, let's see if we can find it. Let's do that and get a fatted calf and roast, roast the fucker. It. Yeah. <laughs> Dig yeah. that hole where, where they went to put that pool at in your backyard. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Get the shoveling, dicks. So anybody else got any honorable mentions? I, I have tons, but no. I, I want to mention one, and it's because I mentioned his other one. I want to mention Nice Guys. I did change Nice Black. Guys is a great movie. It's a great no movie that didn't get respect. Well, actually, yeah, here's what's funny about it. Nice Guys was also based on, just as he used Brad Holiday, one, this one was based on Blue Murder. Yeah. He drew the inspiration for that. What's funny is, though, like you said, it got no respect. I read one of the worst reviews of it ever when I was doing research for this. How could there be a... Rex Reed. Oh, screw him. Rex Reed of the New York Observer wrote... He gave it a zero. What? Now, let me read this quote. It is just another submental movie for morons churned out by the kind of sophomoric Hollywood machine that trademarks the works of Judd Apatow and company. It is nothing like a Judd Apatow film. I, that was his quote. Has he I, ever seen a Judd I Apatow was, film? And I put under it, but it's 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. Like, every other reviewer that saw it seemed to like it okay. Yeah. And fans, it's a fantastic movie. It's also got Kim Basinger in it. Well, they were going to do, and, and, and Shane Black said he wanted to do a sequel, and at one point they were even talking about doing a, a television a show, show, yeah, um, which was going to be Nice Girls and be a female cast. Uh, and that's actually allegedly still in development. Shane Black is a great writer. Yes. I, I want to bring, so my other honorable mention I want to bring up has great reviews, 8.1 to 7.5 on different ranking systems, and it's a television show that was a mid-season replacement and was literally produced just to be made six episodes. What? Andy Barker, P.I. Never heard of it. It starred Andy Richter. So Andy Richter had made Andy Richter control the oh! which I loved. And basically the part, plot to Andy Barker, P.I., is he is an accountant. He's a CPA, certified public accountant. Is that he, what that stands for? Yes, it is. I was just making sure people knew. Who is a film buff. Our audience is um, educated. They're not educated. Uh, <laughs> he, they he, listen to us. They listen to he, us. They make poor decisions. He basically rents this office for his thing, <coughs> and it turns out the office used to be owned by a private detective who has retired. Mm -hmm. Somebody shows up and thinks he's still the detective and gives him this case, and that's the first episode. And he takes the case because it's an attractive woman. His wife agrees to help him, and the guy that owns the movie store, the movie rental place downstairs, who is obsessed with crime films, also agrees to help him. Even though it was, it was like I said, made to be a mid-season replacement, created by Conan O'Brien and Jonathan Groff, um, starred Andy Richter, obviously. Um, it, it was a, a, I mean, it was made to close, and so they were they only were going to film six episodes. Oddly enough, they only aired four, and then held the last two for something like three months, and then aired them in April. Um, but it didn't use a laugh track. It was a single shot camera show. But it was just a surreal show um, in the nature of things like Better Off Ted yeah. and things like that. Ah, Better Off Ted. About, uh, about this guy that ended up being a detective and faking his way through it because he needed money and wasn't making enough as an accountant. Hmm. And so it's very surreal. It's very funny. It's got great reviews, but... Hold on to that one because I think we could come back and do P.I.s and probably shows later on. Mm -hmm. Okay. There's a guy named Magnum. Hmm. Nope. I love his ice creams. You ever have them? They started in England. <laughs> mm, no, I just buy the conjunct. I knew that was coming. 
Who do you buy them for? Well, of course you did. There it is again. Who did you buy them for? I put them over my head and blow them up (laughs) and make balloons. And then you go to do America's Got Talent. Let me make this ten times worse. I don't watch America's Got Talent, so I'm assuming that's timeless. Let me make this ten times worse. I knew they were big, but I didn't know they were big enough to get over your head. It's like Sputnik. (laughs) It is a big head. Howie Mandel was a judge. Too bad my penis was underneath it, so it never got any light. So it didn't grow. And there's where we're going to end the private detective show. Oh. Thank you so much. Anything else to add? Nope. I've enjoyed this. Have you really? Well, the company could have been better. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's all right. Love her. Next time you can put in your best friend next to you. Where, where are you all going to sit? <laughs> I was say, where, where are we going to go? I'm going to go and hook Phil. <laughs> oh, Phil. Phil. And with that... Oh my God, could Phil be a private detective? I'd watch that show. Oh, really oh. quick. Really quick. I'm not for sure when this is coming out. If it fa- if Fall Fan Fest has already happened, sorry, but come out and see us. We're going to have a table and stickers. And come out to the Scare Fest. It's going to be the third weekend in September. 14th, 15th, 16th, I think. Yep, that's right. Or 13th, 14th, and 15th. Somewhere around there. Come out and see us at Scare Fest. Pay your ticket. Brandon Griffith needs the money. Actually, just support local cons. Yeah, Plus, support local this cons. Upstart, this upstart, and by that we mean Brandon Griffith. Brandon Griffith is running a big con. Um, He's running the long con. In this September. young upstart, Bruce Campbell, so she'll be there too. Yeah, and Linda Blair or somebody. All right, thank you all so much. We'll see you at the cons.